Part One, Chapter Ten of Mushrooms on the Moor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devora Allen. Mushrooms on the Moor, by Frank W. Borum. Part One, Chapter Ten, A Woman's Reason. Will you go with me? No, indeed. You must go alone. I shall not appear at all. Why, mother? Because. I came across the above passage near the beginning of one of Myrtle Reed's stories, The Master's Violin, and towards the end I found this. Iris, I have been miserable ever since I told you I wrote the letters. Why, dear? Because. And then, in quite another book, Maurice Thompson's Sweetheart Manette, I came upon this. Why can't you tell me? asked Roland Hatch. I don't know that I have the right, replied Manette. Why? Because. Now, that word because is very interesting. It is a woman's reason, Miss Reed confides to us. That may or may not be so. I know nothing about that. It is not my business. I only know that it is the oldest reason, and the safest reason, and by far the strongest. Now really, no man can say why. As Miss Reed says in another passage lying midway between the two quoted, we all do things for which we can give no reason. We do them because. No man can say why he prefers coffee to cocoa, or mutton to beef. He likes the one better than the other because. No man can say why he chose his profession. He decided to be a doctor or a carpenter because. No man can say why he fell in love with his wife. It would be an affectation to pretend that she is really incomparably superior to all other women upon the face of the earth. And yet to him she is not only incomparably superior, and incomparably lovelier, and incomparably nobler, but she is absolutely the one and only woman on the planet or off it. No other swims into the field of vision. She is first, and every other woman is nowhere. Why? Because. There is no other reason. The fact is that we get into endless confusion when we sail out into the dark, mysterious seas that lie beyond that because. Nine times out of ten, our conclusions are unassailable. And nine times out of ten, our reasons for reaching those conclusions are absurdly illogical, totally inadequate, or grossly mistaken. Everybody remembers the fable of the bantam cock, who assured the admiring farmyard that the sun rose every morning because of its anxiety to hear him crow. The fact was indisputable. The sun did certainly rise every morning. It was only at the attempt to ascribe a specific reason for its rising that the argument broke down. It is always safer to say that the sun rises every morning because. Ministers, at least, will recall the merriment that Hugh Latimer made of Master Moore. The good man had been appointed to investigate the cause of the Goodwin Sands. He met with small success in his inquiries. At last he came upon an old man who had lived in the district nearly a hundred years. The centenarian knew. The secret sparkled in his eyes. Master Moore approached the prodigy. Yes, sir, the old man answered. I know. Tenterden steeple is the cause of Goodwin Sands. I remember when they built the steeple. Before that we never heard of sands or flats or shallows off this haven. They built the steeple, and then came the sands. Yes, sir. Tenterden steeple is the cause of the destruction of Sandwich Harbor. When we wander beyond that wise word because, circumstances seem malicious. They conspire to deceive us. I remember passing a window in London in which a sewing machine was displayed. The machine was working. A large doll sat beside it, its hand on the wheel. 
the doll's hand appeared to be turning the handle. As a matter of fact, the machine was electrically driven, and the wheel turned the hand of the doll. In the realm of cause and effect, we are frequently the dupes and victims of a very dexterous system of leisure domain. The resultant quantity is invariably clear. The contributing causes are not what they seem. I find myself believing today pretty much what I believed twenty years ago. But I find myself believing the same things for different reasons. As life goes on, a man learns to put more and more confidence in his conclusions, and to become more and more chary of the reasons that led to those conclusions. If a certain course seems to him to be right, he automatically adopts it, and he confidently persists in it, even after the reasons that first dictated it have fallen under suspicion. More than once, in an emergency at sea, says Dr. Grenfell, the hero of Labrador, I have swiftly decided upon a certain line of action. If I had waited to hem my reason into a corner before adopting that course, I should not be here to tell the tale. We often flatter ourselves that we base our conclusions upon our reasons. In reality, we do nothing of the kind. The mind works so rapidly that it tricks us. It is another case of leisure domain. Once more, it is the machine that turns the doll, and not the doll that turns the machine. Our thinking faculties often play at ride a cock horse. We recall Browning's lines, When I see boys ride a cock horse, I find it in my heart to embarrass them, by hinting that their stick's a mock horse, and they really carry what they say carries them. The rugged truth is that first of all we reach our conclusions. That is the starting point. Then, amazed at our temerity in doing so, we hasten to tack on a few reasons as a kind of apology to ourselves for our own intrepidity, a tardy concession to intellectual decency and good order. But whether we recognize it or not, we do most things because. As Pascal told us long ago, the heart has reasons which the reason does not know. It is the heart that feels God, not the reason. When old Samuel Wesley lay dying in 1735, he turned to his illustrious son John, saying, The inward witness, son, the inward witness. That is the proof, the strongest proof of Christianity. I did not at the time understand him, says John, in quoting the words with approval long afterwards. But the root of the whole matter lies just there. My reference to Dr. Grenfell reminds me. The good doctor was questioned the other day as to his faith in immortality. I believe in it, he replied, because I believe in it. I am sure of it, because I am sure of it. Precisely. That is the point. We believe because. And then, on our sure faith, we pile up a stupendous avalanche of Christian evidences. Emerson tells us of two American senators who spent a quarter of a century searching for conclusive evidence of the immortality of the soul. And Emerson finishes the story by saying that the impulse which prompted their long search was itself the strongest proof that they could have had. Of course, although they knew it not, they already believed. They believed because. And then, finding their faith naked and feeling ashamed, they set out to beg, borrow, or steal a few rags of reasons with which to deck it. It is the problem of Professor Tufelsdrock and Sartor Resartus over again. It all comes back to Carlyle's everlasting yea. The shame is mock modesty, and the craving is a false one. A woman's reason is the best reason. As the years go by, we become less and less eager for evidence. We are content to believe because. I was lately looking out of my window, Martin Luther wrote from Coburg to a friend, and I saw the stars in the heavens, and God's great beautiful arch over my head, but I could not see any pillars on which the great builder had fixed this arch. And yet the heavens fell not, 
and the great arch stood firmly. There are some who are always feeling for the pillars and longing to touch them, and because they cannot touch them they stand trembling and fearing lest the heavens should fall. If they could only grasp the pillars, then the heavens would stand fast. "'But how do you know that there is any Christ? You never saw him,' said poor Augustine St. Clair, the slave-owner, to Uncle Tom, the slave. "'I feel it in my soul, Masser. Feel him now. Oh, Masser, the blessed Lord Jesus loves you.' "'But how do you know that, Tom?' said St. Clair. "'I feels it in my soul, Masser. Oh, Masser, the love of Christ that passeth knowledge.' "'But, Tom, you know that I have a great deal more knowledge than you. "'What if I should tell you that I don't believe your Bible? "'Wouldn't that shake your faith some, Tom? "'Not a grain, Masser.' "'And St. Clair felt himself borne on the tide of Tom's faith and feeling, "'almost to the gate of heaven. "'I like to hear you, Tom, and sometime I'll talk more.' "'Uncle Tom's argument was the strongest and most convincing after all. "'If only all we arguers and debaters and controversialists could come to recognize it.' He believed because. And now that I come to think of it, Miss Myrtle Reed is wrong in calling it a woman's reason. It is a divine argument, the oldest and sweetest and strongest of all divine arguments. I said just now that a man loves a woman just because he loves her, and he could not in a thousand volumes give an intelligent and convincing explanation of his preference. And, let me say it in a hushed and reverent whisper, God loves in much the same way. Listen, and let me read. The Lord did not set his love upon you because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you. He loved because he loved. He loved because. I intend, therefore, to proclaim the magnificent verities of the Christian gospel. I shall talk with absolute certainty and with unwavering confidence about the sin of man, the love of God, the cross of Christ, if my message is met with a why or a wherefore, I have only one reply, because. There is nothing else to be said. The preacher lives to tell a wonderful love story, and a love story is never arguable. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why? Because. End of Part 1, Chapter 10